Our first movie tells the story of a friendship behind prison walls that spans more than 20 years. Welcome to episode 35 of Middle Brow Madness, an exercise in podcast hubris. My name is Derek Gane. I'm Isabel Arf. Um, Derek, yes. I was thinking about interrupting you uh, to, <laughs> during your intro because I was I was so excited for what I have to tell you today, but I realized <laughs> that you would all- just... I don't want to step on anything. I want this to get the full breathing room it deserves. All right. I mean, just just for the record, that intro is like four seconds long. <laughs> Well, I, I've interrupted you during it before. Um, like before I before I've said my name. Yeah, definitely have. All right, real I'll fans, real it. heads. No, but <laughs> I guess I'm not a real fan. <laughs> I mean, I don't listen to this shit after I record it. Come on. Oh, okay, I do after I edit it. But I I do for fun. Sometimes I go back and listen to some of our famous bits. <laughs> All of our goofs and gags. That's right. We need to do a bros better, bros best, but just for our hilarious <laughs> goofs. Um, but Derek, I found the most important thing we've yet talked about, uh, for an intro bullshit. I, I've told you multiple times off air that I'm so excited to tell you about this. You've been hyping this. Um, I've been hyping this, uh, and I, I don't think it will disappoint. I will also give it up for Trash Future, because that's where I heard about this. The podcast Trash Future, which is also, like, my favorite podcast. But, okay, so I want you to think in your head, envision, uh, like, like... Like, okay. dream, imagine. I'm picturing in my mind. Vision, vision board. What's the worst thing that technology could do to relationships? What's the worst thing that technology could do to relationships? I Not like specific relationships, even like the general concept of relationships. Um, well, it's either one of two things. It's either some Black Mirror shit that I don't bother to conjure right now, or <laughs> it's probably just... The um, the erosion and flattening of, uh, of of context or and or in like interpersonal relationships qua interpersonal relationships. I'd say you get it's both of those things. Okay, <laughs> this is a really special uh, thing. So the Uh-oh. website that I'm looking at, I'm going to give you the name and I want you to guess. It's called girlfriend.finance. Girlfriend.finance. Now there's something here that I. There, there's okay. So there's two images that come to mind. One of them that I want it to be, and one of them I want it less to be. Okay. Now, girlfriend finance in a perfect scenario is, <laughs> I guess, just girlfriends who help you do your taxes. Okay, that sounds great. Um, it's not that. See, this is what I thought. That's what I was hoping it was, but I don't think that's what it was going to be. Uh, my other, my other theory, and I, uh, and what I fear it might actually be, is some kind of uh, financial domination operation. Oh no, Derek! It's, oh, it's, no. <laughs> it's way more dehumanizing than that. Oh my god! You know, findoms they do their they do good work as long as they're <laughs> responsible. I don't have any problems with them. Hey, get your money. But have you always thought, hey, my relationship is going great? I want to introduce NFTs into here. Oh, of course. 
How, uh, for how, those who don't know. How, how, how could it be anything else? It was always uh, going to be NFTs. I was just blind to it. The scales have fallen from I my have eyes. So now, many, of course, like, of course I have so many NFTs. <laughs> NFT articles to read you at some point. Because um, it's, right. it's a great source of just the worst things. But a lot of... <laughs> Okay, so um, wait. wait what should we be... explain what NFT is real quick? Uh, it's Okay, real. you might be in a better position because okay. it's... An NFT, it stands for non-fungible token. Correct. And uh, beyond that, I don't really know. So the blockchain okay. is involved somehow? Yes. So um, fungible is like the ability to exchange things for equivalent things. NFT is obviously one you can't exchange. It is a thing in and of itself. It is the and essence is, of a thing? Uh, well, it is proof that you paid for a specific thing. And instead of like a, re- like a regular Bitcoin token, for instance, uh-huh. those are all evenly exchangeable for whatever you want it to be exchangeable for. Like like one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Right. One NFT does not equal one NFT because they're like unique things. And specifically, like what you're buying with an NFT is you're buying a, an entry on a blockchain ledger that says you own the thing. Or that you bought the thing. So you're So it's buying... officially yours. So you essentially have proof that you bought the thing. It was originally for like, well, it was originally for a lot of things, but the thing that blew up was like art. So that way you could get a JPEG <laughs> and everyone else can steal that JPEG, but you could say, hey, I'm the one who paid for this JPEG. I am like the owner of this Pablo Picasso. Like I own this. Okay. Even if you take pictures of this Picasso, you it's not the same thing. Does that make two, sense? Two things. One, there is it's no until Okay, well, that's kind of, that's, you know, self-evident, but two things. One, there is no ontological difference between having an NFT for a thing and a low-res JPEG of the same thing. That is correct, Eric. Two, you're paying money for a receipt, bro. What are you doing? Yes, ki- literally, kill- that is what it is. You are killing the earth for a receipt. Just Bitcoin by itself is actually, uh, uses more energy than the Netherlands. But. The ne- Yes. So. NFT has been used for a lot of things, uh, and they've been blowing up recently, and the market's already crashing because people – basically because, like, popular, like, places that weren't fucking bullshit cryptocurrency things covered it, and everyone's like, oh, wait a minute. This is ridiculous. Why this would you ever buy this? Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're going to integrate that into your relationships, what oh, you God. need <laughs> is – I forgot we were doing this. <laughs> is just... NFT relationship tokenization. For actresses and models to manage their relationships with fans. The oh. way Tinder disrupted dating, we aim to disrupt the way people relate to each other and the way people manage their need to belong to each other. This is their website, by the way. End goal is to replace outdated governmental institutions with an intergovernmental blockchain organization that lets people define their romantic, familial, and personal relationships with flexibility that is required in this brave new world. That's so, just word salad. That doesn't fucking mean anything. Deciphering that. It means that you can get a NFT that says someone is your girlfriend, and then you have proof on the blockchain that they are your girlfriend. How is and then this... you could sell that proof to someone else if you wanted to. How is this distinguishable from, like, human trafficking? <laughs> uh, I mean, because there's not a human being involved. It's just, like, the concept of it's a human being It's the status of involved. the relationship. Yes. And... Like, if I fucking create... If I fucking blew 50 grand on an NFT that says that Christina Ricci is my girlfriend... <laughs> <laughs> that does not make it so. To be fair, Christina Ricci would have to, uh, at least in this specific scheme, she'd have to sell that NFT um, <laughs> to nightmare. somebody. 
So, um, here's like three bullet points they have on their website for like oh, why this man. is good. Um, you can generate buzz of a relationship status tokenization with oh, the help of celebrities. For example, Hollywood actress Bella Thorne is now an OnlyFans, so you can be her boyfriend on Girlfriend.Finance, which oh, is the saddest Bella sentence Thorne. I've ever read. Um, Remember the Bella Thorne discourse like eight months ago? I do, when she... Um, fuck Bella Thorne is a short version of it. We're not going to get into it because we already have a lot to talk about with Girlfriend.Finance. Look it up! And, and the IDF later and how they relate. The um, IDF, so, oh no. <laughs> uh, so this is the darkest sentence on here. Uh this will incentivize women to embrace the new normal of relationship tokenization and blockchain relationship management. Uh, that's dark. That that's is also dark. <laughs> relationship tokenization <laughs> is kind of what an a perfect evil sentence. <laughs> it's like um, a, and then finally, it's like an evil noun phrase. Uh, this will allow us to focus on providing women with blockchain tools that help them grow and manage their brand and navigate romantic and personal relationships. You need blockchain tools to navigate your romantic and personal relationships. Like, and this will disrupt the way people relate to each other. I mean, so, so okay, so you're on OnlyFans, you're hustling, so you just, like, auction off, you auction off your, 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 your uh, I guess, relationship status to the highest bidder... Because you don't exactly. fucking value yourself as a person, I guess? I mean, to be fair to, like, the person who'd be auctioning this off, it doesn't do any shit for you. Like, y- your life is the exact same. I this suppose the, so, the, right? The person who you're selling it to is effectively not a human being to you. Which I mean positively, because anyone buying this shouldn't be a human being to you. It's um, a- so it doesn't really matter to you. You're just selling off a thing that you can get free money for. I mean, you're destroying the earth while you're doing it, so maybe that's bad. But... At least in terms of like a personal relationship, there's nothing there. But this if you're is the person so buying this, bad. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of great things to this. Number one is that they're starting off. They have like a whole roadmap of how they want to play this out. It starts off with like um, uh, internet models, then it moves to actresses and singers, then it moves to everybody. The president. So, <laughs> I mean, hey, if Joe Biden wants to sell his, to, you can be his girlfriend. Um. <laughs> So the interesting thing about this is that they're starting off with like people who would be most likely, I think, realistically to use this, which is internet models. So people who have Patreons, people who have OnlyFans, things like that, where part of the appeal is a parasocial relationship being developed with you by the people who are paying for naked pictures of you, which, hey, no shade on that. That's how you get a grift, how you can. And I'm totally cool with that. Also, isn't... Isn't that the parasocial relationship? This is just taking to another level. This is like if if like the girl that you paid on cam shouted you out specifically, and you and you had like a record. Like here's my record of saying I am Yo. this cam girl's favorite man. It was like if you like if it's like an internet version. If you went to a strip club and you had a shirt that says I'm the stripper's special boy. <laughs> and you never touch her, and you, it's just like a regular strip club experience, but everyone that sees you there knows, okay, he paid extra money so that everyone would know that he paid extra money. And everyone else thinks you're a fucking loser. Exactly. Oh, my um, lord. So. Are strip clubs the great sort of um, uh, uh, microcosm of our universe? <laughs> I mean, hey, straight clubs separate fools from their money. Uh, and theoretically, at least, give them to women who deserve it more. So, hey, I'm, I don't have any. As long as they're run ethically, I have no issues with strip clubs. Per so se. we should we so we should strive more to be like an ethical strip club, is what you're saying. 
Honestly, like a like a worker owned strip club. That sure. sounds great. So Man, they're, this is they're going pl- places already. Jesus Christ, <laughs> this is gone um, many places already. <laughs> they ha- they have a subreddit, um, and they they have a Discord. Um, oh, they are more full now than they were. I will say, they were uh, basically empty because uh, no one wants this. Why did would you pe- want this? Did you peek in? Uh, luckily, I didn't have to. Uh, it was uh, trash, trash feature that peeked in. People, yeah, okay. okay. Never mind. Uh, there's huh? still only there's still only six members on the subreddit. Breaking news. And this sucks. <laughs> hold on, I'm loading it up in Discord right now. I'm pulling up the invite. I'm going to join Girlfriend on Finance. I'm doing it as we're recording this. Um, oh okay, there's way more there. Uh, there virus. is. <laughs> there's a total of 21 people on the Girlfriend ah! on Finance Discord. <laughs> Fuck you guys, man. To be fair, there was only like 12. Before uh, Trash Future did their episode. Yeah, how so. many of those people are just people like you who just kind of went in to like, laugh at these schmoes? At this point, most of them. It's gotta be. Um, I mean, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten staff members. Uh, hmm. They're based in Belarus, it seems. Um, oh, man. And they have a pre-sale going on. So <laughs> if you... Everyone listening, I know you want to get some uh, two. You want to get two thousand girlfriend on finance coins, which is fair. Should we buy a middlebrow madness NFT <laughs> maximum? Should we do a middlebrow madness maximum friendship NFT? <laughs> if it didn't destroy the environment, I'd love that. <laughs> um, but so I, you can only buy this. Uh, like the smallest you can buy is in measurements of one Ethereum. So Derek, without like, looking, oh god. How much is one Ethereum token worth right now? Is, is, it, it is less than Bitcoin. It is a good amount less than Bitcoin, I'll say is, right away. Is, is an Ethereum like $2,500 or something? Uh, currently 26 and that's at a market low. Ugh. Yeah, it was a, at uh, four grand as of uh, May 10th. If you were, if if some weird terrorist in like a 90s movie broke into your house right now and like held you at gunpoint and said, buy an Ethereum token right now, would you able, would you be able to do that? You mean, do I have the money or do I have the like technological capability? Well, I, I mean, I was mostly thinking, do you have just $2,500 liquid that you could use to buy an Ethereum thing? Derek, we are recording this podcast. You know that I don't. <laughs> and I know you don't either. I mean, not liquid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yes. If I were to sell my laptop and my car, I could buy an Ethereum token. <laughs> Even then, it'd be it'd be rough. Oh boy. But well, that's, well this is this was pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> so, so the thi- but here's the thing it made me think of two things. Number one okay. is when they open this up. First of all, it's never gonna get here. Like it, this is going to shut down soon enough. That's why I wanted to read it early to make sure I got to the website before. They get ashamed of it and close it. It's it's not going to see 2022. No. Um, but if they did get to the point where you could do this with people, like regular people, then you could theoretically, you could have your girlfriend create your actual real life girlfriend, create an NFT of your relationship. And uh-huh. then you could break up with her and sell that NFT to anyone in the whole world. And they could have an NFT saying that they are... That like that person is their girlfriend. You could just do that, and then people have brought this up on the Discord. But why and, though? <laughs> uh, uh, and people brought this up in the Discord, and they're like, "Well, you could, but you shouldn't." <laughs> and well, the too like, little, well, yeah, too late, I- motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, so I love that. It's great. And the thing this made me think of, a lot of things. <laughs> um, but the one specifically is I almost originally talked about the IDF cat girl uh, for this episode. Okay, um, so I am not... Okay, so uh, I'll let you decide uh, what the answer to this question I'm going to ask is, dear listener. But one of us is a lot more online than the other one. I won't say who. Who knows who it could be? Who knows who it could be? Anybody. I've heard tangentially about the IDF cat girl, the the mythical creature known as the IDF cat girl. Didn't I post pictures in the... No, I just mentioned her. I apologize. You mentioned her. And I'm like, so is this just a fucking Israeli soldier who who like cosplays for fun? Or is this like the IDF being like, check it out. We got cat girls. (laughs) I would love that pitch. Um... She is, I will say this, she is marketing herself as a, it says former IDF soldier. That's not really how the IDF works, but either way, she's not currently active military, um, who has a TikTok and a Patreon, and she used to have an OnlyFans. I can't, I don't think it exists anymore, um, but I can find dumps of it online. The problem is I'd have to, like, A, I'd have to want to look at that, and I don't really... Um, and I, and like the only places that had like dumps of it were shady websites that you had to sign up for a forum account. Mm. Everyone on the forum seems to say, yeah, this, like this link works, but either way, I'm not signing up for a sketchy forum to get nude pictures. I don't want. Yeah. This is in 2002. What the fuck? No. And, and Hey, uh, I don't, uh, I don't support exploiting sex workers, even when they're part of the IDF. Sure. But for those who don't know, oh, um, there is this person. And uh, they're former soldier in the IDF. They are a cat girl. They like to wear cat ears and schoolgirl outfits. And they have a Patreon. And they have a, uh, what do you call it? Like I said, a TikTok where they dance provocatively. And there's a lot of pictures in their butt, I see here. And the thing that fascinates me about this, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of aspects to it. One is I'm like 90% sure this is a PSYOP. Like, Only 90 <laughs> This feels because, like, like it's like tailor made to be a honeypot of some kind. Yes. Like this is the kind of thing that, first of all, I'd never heard of her. I feel like if this was a thing, I would have heard of her before the recent, um, I hate this, this, the flare up of tensions, <laughs> but the, the recent incidents, um, around uh, the end of Ramadan in Palestine, I feel like I would have heard of this before. I am online enough and around enough of both simps and, <laughs> wild ass leftists that i would have heard of this and also her patreon the three membership levels are honored revered and exalted there's a picture of her cosplaying as diva from overwatch from overwatch she's yeah. clearly trying to do the um oh, what's her name um gamer girl bathwater person um ah oh, i should know this uh bell bell delphine bell delphine thank you She's clearly trying to do that. I like, fucking hate that I knew that. What the fuck? Like, she has a bunch of pictures of her, like, basically doing that stuff. But then th- the reason I'm even more sure is that it's not just that she's trying to be, like, an e-thought. I support that. Everyone should be e-thoughts if you feel comfortable being it. <laughs> I post enough thoughty pictures on my Twitter that, like, I can't judge. <laughs> but, like, it's not just she's doing that. She also has, like, like fucking... TikToks where she's like, I probably served as a military police officer for three years. Now tell me, do I look like I could harm innocent civilians? Literally a quote from her TikTok. Or 
Oh, God. She had a, like, caption that was, when they tried to destroy your nation, but you ended up having one of the most powerful armies, and it's her in her uniform. Oh, no. And, like, terrifying shit. This is... Okay. All right. Okay. I never do this for your bits at the beginning, but I think this merits an open parenthesis before we get to the movies, because we are a movie podcast, I remind you. We will talk about the movies. And this will be whittled down a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah. But, okay, so... Israel, he said with scary. Oh my, okay. So. <laughs> okay, so they have mandatory military service for every adult, right? They do. But if you're cool, like that one Taylor Swift fan Twitter, you can just, you, you can, can just be resi- like, yeah, you can be like, fuck this. I don't know about that. Yeah. And you'll go to prison for like a, a year or two, which like, hey, let's just say the girl who ran the Taylor Swift fan account that I'm talking about, she's braver than every single IDF troop. <laughs> And it's like, so yeah, so you're a conscientious objector, you go to jail for, I mean, no one, no one in jail is going to be like, traitor. It's like, you are going to be worshipped like a fucking, like a fucking king in there. If you're like, you know what, I'd rather not. (laughs) Anyways, all that to say, if you were a member of the IDF, if you were in the military, you could just not coast on that. You could just not bring it up. At the very least, you could be, I kind of had to. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's in it's in the fucking constitution of the country. I wasn't thrilled about it. I try to put a lot of distance between that and myself now. You cannot lean into it, is what I'm trying to do. If you're trying to e thought it up, this is not something you have to bring up. This is something that might come up, and you could be like, "Well, yeah, Israel has mandatory military service. I wasn't thrilled about the idea of going to jail, so I served, and I'm trying to just not lean into that anymore." Which is or just, explains just the, the f- fucking explain the cat ears and the diva costume. <laughs> You can just do the, like, really, like, cowardly Gal Gadot thing, where you're like, oh, like, much peace on both sides, and you just don't say anything. People don't know. Gal Gadot, former IDF soldier. Because she's Israeli, you know? That's, that, that, yeah, you know? Was Gene Simmons in the idea? (laughs) (laughs) Legit, legit question. I don't want to, I don't want to search that. I feel like I've looked at my search things enough. Thank you. Gene Simmons. I take the bullet for everything else. Uh, it'll it'll say on his Wikipedia page, right? Sure. And just to be, uh, th- this person has also accused Palestinians of faking funerals. Oh my um, god! Which is quite the thing to accuse anyone of, especially in this situation. Um, I'm currently on her TikTok, <laughs> um, which has 1.1 uh, okay. million followers now, because people are horny. People are horny, um, man. Dear Forget world. That- you never defended Jews when they were persecuted and wiped out. Today, we stand in our way when we defend ourselves. Um, Say, don't stand in our way when we defend ourselves. That is, there's so much stuff to unpack there, that there is an e-thought on TikTok, who used to be a member of the IDF, I guess it still is, she can technically be called into military duty at any time, that's how the IDF works, that had a TikTok talking about the right to Israeli self-defense, equating Jewish people with Israel. That is so many layers of extremely online <laughs> the uh, the the um the paradox of post nut clarity is that you have to nut to see clearly <laughs> uh, also uh gene simmons immigrated uh, to the united states from israel when he was eight so did not serve in the idf okay. making him a less garbage person than gal gadot weirdly <laughs> and gene Sim- gene simmons famously one of the most reprehensible men in rock and roll yes just so. a pe- person Oh, boy. Um, you want to talk about movies, Isabel? <laughs> yeah, I, so here's the thing. Like, the entire time I was thinking of doing this bit, I was trying to find a good way to, like, close this bit out. There's just 
it's depressing and surreal. And when I saw the like cat girl IDF soldier, it just, it was one of the most like disconcerting and like almost, it felt like getting punched in the face and then like just being dizzy for a while afterwards. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to like react to it. And I will say two, I'll say two things. Sure. Number one, to all the leftists being thirsty about her online, is she hot? Yes. She's very, very hot. But <laughs> we're, this is the left. There are so many cat girls on the left. There like, are other ha- cat girls, yeah. <laughs> half of the fucking like, self-identified communists in America right now own cat ears. That is a fact. You can find better cat girls to simp over. I promise you. Number There's two. A lot of people out there. <laughs> number two is Solidarity Palestine. Sure, uh, we fully support the Palestinian people. And we are against apartheid states. <laughs> and we are also very against the equation of Israel with the Jewish people. Those are two different we things. We here at Middle Brown Madness. I feel it's important st- to say still. I feel it's important to say. I mean, yeah, it's important to say. Um, and I suspect, I mean, because here's the... Here's I, I the- suspect most of our listeners are already, like, pro-Palestinian. And if they're not, if they think that it is bad that we are saying that Israel having literal different laws for people of different ethnicities... Is not an apartheid state, That's and that they're not committing up. war crimes. Um, you're not paying us. What do you care? Stop listening. <laughs> I don't have any responsibility to you. Yeah. Also, here we find ourselves to be in a very weird situation where we kind of know everyone who listens to this show. True. Like, or at least they're in a close enough circle. That's right. I mean, we don't have to leave. There's no one. I don't think there's anyone who listens to the show who doesn't at least know someone who knows someone in the, the Discord. Say. Correct. So, um, yeah. Um, so movies. <laughs> that, that was a very. I apologize for doing a thing that talk, took us thirty minutes to talk about, but I had to talk about girlfriend finance, and I had to talk about the IDF cat girl. Those are the oh two things God. that were just have been on my mind lately. Um, and thank those you for letting been, me talk about them. Those like I mean, not to give you notes or anything, but that could have been two distinct intros. <laughs> I feel like the IDF cat girl didn't have enough like meat on. The bone of that 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 sausage. We did like the, ten bo- minutes of material sausage. on that. <laughs> a lot of that's being cut. Either way, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, despite the last half hour of material that you've heard, this is not an episode of Trash Future or QAnon Anonymous or uh, or any number of podcasts that cover this kind of shit. Chapo is- Trap House. Chapo Trap House. They come up. A lot. I, I had a uh, dream where Felix Bierman sold me a gun. <laughs> Was he nice? Yeah, he was very nice. To be fair, oh. he's like, he's my favorite person on Chapo. Uh, writer of uh, Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, directed by John Boyce. Yeah, the very same. So yeah, this is ostensibly a movie podcast. Don't take don't... that as an endorsement of Chapo or Felix. They both said very problematic things. But, but do at least, take it as, at least take Felix it as an is a good poster. Uh, do take it as an endorsement of Fighting in the Age of Loneliness. So that's a great, great piece very of Very much so. John Boyce um, can do no wrong. That's right. Um... Until until such time that he is inev- uh, inevitably canceled or something. <laughs> of course. Have you ever um, like I I really want to get like a, a Mount Erie tattoo, but I'm like really worried that Phil Elverum is going to get canceled. I don't know why. I don't think he will. But then again, I didn't think a lot of people were going to. Listen, I don't want to be like, oh shit. I'm going to wait heels until he dies, and then I'm I mean, get it. I mean, have the people in Crass ever done anything shitty? Oh yes, that, oh, that was. Go. I was like. 17 when i got that tattoo that's all right if like you're you've already got the like listen like 
just 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 give her just go for it i mean you've already got the crass tattoo it's fine yeah so this let's start the, the podcast proper <laughs> despite the last half hour of material that you've heard this is a movie podcast this is a podcast where isabel and i go through the internet movie database <laughs> i'm sorry the top 250 just, of the internet movie database just always the fucking transition between the bit at the beginning and the actual show is like fucking is, is fucking whiplash every time i wonder like damien so- chazelle's whiplash <laughs> Um, there was a staff member at my job who quit somewhat recently. Uh, like she gave her two weeks and everything like that. And, um, as she was like the last night she was there, um, like we were talking about podcasts and I mentioned the fact that I do them and she asked for a link to it or like she asked me to, to, to basically to like put it into her phone. Um, so I did that. I don't know if she ever listened. Totally cool. If she didn't, I would actually understand that completely. 100%. Amanda, if you are listening, I don't know how you got through the last like half hour. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, also, I hope you didn't listen to my porn podcast, but hey. For a good time. Every other uh, week? Question mark? Theoretically, if I uh, stop having the most stressful time ever at work. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so today so, we watched. Yes, we do. It's the Internet Movie Database two, Top 250 circa two, uh, August 2018, plus six movies that we added to make a field of 256 movies that we feed into a single elimination bracket until we get to the best movie of all time, Asterisk. And now we've got four more movies to talk about because we do two matchups every episode. Um, so that's four movies. And here are the four movies that we're going to be talking about. We've got Reservoir Dogs versus The Bandit and The Great Dictator versus Mad Max Fury Road. This show will contain, I think, probably the toughest matchup since uh seven samurai versus uh wait uh, not uh, yojimbo seven set god damn it it's going to contain the toughest matchup since yojimbo versus seven samurai no god damn it seventh it's, seal do you want third con- take yes this episode is going to contain the toughest matchup since yojimbo versus seventh seal agreed i agree with that it's there's 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 two movies on here that like it's not just that they're both excellent, it's that they're both pretty evenly matched in very similar ways. Yeah, it's and they're the same doing kind of... some similar things in very different ways. It's fascinating. It's kind of the same kismet as having Jaws and Star Wars together. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um and I told you this before the podcast, you don't personally agree with this. I think there's one movie, uh, there's an odd movie out when I say the following, but I think this is the first matchup we've had where every single movie is a masterpiece. I I none of the movies are bad. I think there are like there's two masterpieces among masterpieces. One very good movie, and one movie that, though I think is just okay, is very much worth seeing. I can't believe I'm going to be the one who's going to be like, oh, baby. <laughs> anyway, let's get to our first matchup: uh, A Tale of the Tape to kick us off. The '76 seed Reservoir Dogs, released in 1992, uh, written and directed by a young up-and-comer called Twen- uh, Qu- Qu- Quentin Tarantino, maybe you've heard of him, starring Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Chris Penn, Steve Buscemi. Um, varying figures on the budget, uh, I've got anywhere between $1.2 million to $3 million. Made $3 million at the domestic box office, and was kind of like an indie sensation and going one for three at the Independent Spirit Awards with Steve Buscemi winning Best Supporting Actor versus uh, The Bandit, uh, a.k.a. Eskia, which is, I 
My Turkish is not great, so apologies for the pronunciations <laughs> throughout the rest of the show, uh, which is the 181st seed. This is one of those movies that I had no idea existed before uh, embarking upon this project. 100% uh, really, same. Released in 1996, written and directed by Yavuz Turgul, starring Sener Sen, uh, Ugur Yusel, Sermin Sen, and Yasin Salkim. Again, my Turkish is not great. Um... I don't have much in the way uh, for stats as far as this movie is concerned, but it was Turkey's submission uh, to the uh, to the Oscars that year. It was not shortlisted, and it won four uh, Turkish Film Critics Awards, uh, including Best Picture, and by all accounts, rejuvenated the Turkish film industry in the mid nineteen nineties. It's an awful lot for Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> uh, no Smokey. This is this is a Bandit solo project. I was going to make that joke at some point. Figure might as well just get out of the way so we don't yeah. have to think about it for the rest of the time. I think we should talk about The Bandit first. Okay, sure. Because this was kind of, this was one of like the weird ones that coming into this project I had never heard of. And I – okay, so spoiler alert. I liked this fine as kind of <laughs> like a, 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 a kind of like an action movie programmer. It, 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 it kind of – it's 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 a it's a gangster story. It's like an uh, it's kind of a one last job story, but it has this kind of like deep melancholy and romantic undercurrent that I didn't really glom onto because I think I was not seeing the forest for the trees in terms of like oh this is like kind of like a stock. This is just kind of like a run of the mill gangster picture. It's like this is hitting all the beats. It's doing everything it's supposed to. And whatever. But this is something that you glommed onto a lot. Yes. Like, this is... This is a masterpiece. There's no other way to say it. This is a masterpiece. I fucking adore it. Um, I want to hear more, like, about how you kind of vibed with it and all that kind of stuff. And, like, what st- stood out to you. I, I like, wrote down so many notes. And there's so many things I have to talk about with it. I could talk for, like, two hours. I'm not going to. I'm going to try to <laughs> stick to, the like, the most obvious ones. But, um... The first thing I want to throw out to you um, to see, mm-hmm. like, get your response is I think this is this is basically not in the editing, but in, like, the story and the theming. This is Turkish The Limey. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I was like, those in my mind, is an incredible film by Steven Soderbergh. Great, great movie. Um, my favorite of his and one of my fa- one of my favorite movies edited ever and one of my favorite movies. It's absolutely astounding. Um, and I think this is just as good. Oh, interesting, because the movie that I had in the back of my mind was Mean Streets. Never seen Mean Streets, so fortunately. Good movie. It's one of, it's like the it's like the first like great, great Martin Scorsese movie. And yeah, there's a little bit of like places. there's yeah. There's uh, there's a little there's a little of uh, there's a little Scorsese all over this. Uh, not just because there's a, a shot in this film that's basically like a diet version of the Copacabana shot in yes, Goodfellas. Which I loved. It was so much fun. It's the thing with this movie is that it looks really fucking good. Uh, Yavuz Turkle is no fucking slouch. Uh, this movie looks really, really good. Um, helping so this it looks, is looks the like a 70s it's, film. It's kind of grimy. It has that kind of vibe. Uh, helping this is the fact that Insta- uh, Istanbul is a very photogenic city and it just, it looks fucking amazing. But, uh, the director has the good sense to, he he does this thing a lot where he frames his characters against these like incredible just vistas. He yes. makes uh he makes his characters look really 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 tiny and the scene unfolds but 
they're like in like just a small portion of the shot. And normally you would just have like like a two shot and have them in medium shot, but for a lot of the time, for a lot of the times where people are engaging with each other, they are tiny characters in this sort of larger tableau. Uh which I think is a really, really interesting visual motif in the film. Um I mean, thematic motif too. Yes. Uh, a theme of uh, of uh, of uh, isolation, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, or of uh, loneliness, as one might say. Um, so I think this movie looks really good. Uh, it looks like it didn't cost a ton of money. Um, it's appropriately grimy. I just, I think, just the, I think the nuts. I think it works fine. I think it's like, I think it's like just kind of a nuts and bolts gangster movie, and. I think the sort of more existential, uh, more fatalistic, romantic uh, part of it, I don't think it gelled as well as I would have wanted it to with like the sort of 70s new Hollywood gangster shit. But I think that's definitely more of a me thing than it is a you thing. 100%. Uh, before we go any further, I do want to say the quick plot of this because I realize most people will not have seen this. So Yes, of course. After, like, getting out of jail, uh, he was in jail for, like, 35 years. Our main yes. character, uh, Baran, or the bandit, the bandit. Uh, is released from prison, and he returns originally home to his home village, and, like, the village is underwater, like, the whole world has changed, and he finds out that his girl he loved has moved to Istanbul with um, the man who essentially sold him out. Uh, that's Burfo. Rat! Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and... So he goes to Istanbul, doesn't really know what he's doing. Uh, he meets uh, a guy named Kumali, who is a young criminal trying to be like part of the of a, like a gang, like a gangster. Uh, and after helping him, uh, a- after Baran help- helps Kum- Kumali, Kumali kind of almost takes him under his wing and helps him like find a place to stay, helps him find jobs to work at, all that kind of stuff. And we find out that his love, uh, KJ... Ended up marrying Burfo, uh, essentially because Burfo uh, betrayed Baran. Uh, but she hasn't spoken since that happened. Uh, like, has n- literally said no words to anybody. Like a vow of silence. Yes. And of course, when she sees Baran again, she speaks for the first time. And they want to run away together. Um, Kumali also wants to run away with um, a woman who he is attracted to and who seems to have a relationship with. I don't want to say anything else besides that, because there's some things mm-hmm. that happen. Um, and eventually things come to a head. There's a conflict between our two main characters, between the mafia, between Burfo, Keje. A lot of things happen all at once. And I don't want to mm-hmm. say what those are because I think that they're, A, I thought they were really interesting. Uh, the way that they kind of play out, I think the plotting is actually pretty cool. And I feel like not knowing that actually adds to some of the emotional, like, punches it makes later. This is a, to me, this is a very emotional movie. Like, both me and Julie were like, almost sobbing by the end of it like like kept crying for like another like like 20-ish minutes i think this might be the thing it's like i knew i knew what the film was trying to do but for some reason i couldn't just i couldn't get i i couldn't get quite on board with how they were trying to mesh the more romantic side with the more sort of oh the mafia is dangerous or whatever um and i think that might just be because my heart is like black and withered i guess <laughs> i mean i think no, just... i don't th- i don't think that's true but <laughs> it's the only conclusion that i can draw I think it's just it's a lot of themes I'm already interested in. So naturally, I'm going to pick up on them a little bit more. Um, maybe it's partially just like, you know, 
place and circumstance that for some reason this morning I was more open to it than maybe I would have been at a different time. I was honestly maybe. like not looking forward to watching this just because I was like a two hour crime movie. Like I've seen a lot of those. I'm not really into too many of them. And I didn't know like what special thing it would have. And I think that at first I was, I was like, hmm, there's some really amazing moments in this, but I don't really like the character of Kumali. I don't really like this kind of like mob stuff that's going on. Or like, it was like, it, I didn't, it's not that I didn't like it. I was like, this is kind of like standard. And I think that that is kind of what it's trying to do. And you're not even necessarily supposed to like Kumali at first is because mm-hmm. he's a, he's a dumb young guy. He right. is making lots of mistakes. He doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. He's chasing after things that, um, the elder, Baran, knows he shouldn't be take, chasing after. But at the same time, like, it's not really his place to just tell him that. Like, he's not his dad. Um, and he's also a criminal, so it's hard for him to really, like, be like, hey, you shouldn't do criminal things when he literally, <laughs> like, murdered people in prison and outside of prison. So that, I think that makes it, because we have this previous version of Kumali, when Kumali really becomes an emotionally interesting character and a character you can feel invested in, or at least I felt invested in, towards the second half of the movie, it hits so much harder because... I already knew what he's trying to portray to the world. And now it's like me learning who he actually is and learning more of like what is underneath the surface there, which is a young man who deserves better than he has and has had some fucked up things happen in his past that maybe has influenced the way he acts, but is still sure. trying to do the good he can. He's trying to act in a way that he can, but just like the world will not let him. And the 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 reason I tied this to the limey and the reason I also would tie this to the song Straight Time by Bruce Springsteen, which is one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs, mm-hmm. um, is essentially both, like, all three of these things are about how, yes, you got out of prison, but you didn't get out of prison. Right. You never leave it. And, like, you, every, like, <laughs> everywhere is a prison, man. But, like, for real, like, uh, I think that that is shown very directly in, like, how he acts, how he interacts with things, but also filmically like the fact that yeah, just sh- yeah just shots just, just there's so, so many shots shots through bars there's so many like both like physical bars and also like lighting there's like bars of shadow bars of light the final the sequence where balan kills someone and it's oh sorry baron kills someone and it's set in this hallway that is lit gorgeously you see like the god rays coming in the windows and they're bars. They're bars holding both of these people and makes it so yeah, they just can't. Yeah, of light. It's great. Yeah, they like can't move beyond this thing, this place that they're in. They're, they don't have freedom. And like one of the last things that Baran says is, I won't stand being locked up anymore. And he's not saying right. that like just as a like, I don't want to go to prison. It's like a no, I've been locked up since I left prison. I've been locked up my entire life. I can't stand that. And my actions here forward are going to reflect that. That is kind of the most affecting part of it is that it's a bunch of people trying to learn how to be free and only very rarely succeeding and only haltingly but in a way that i found very beautiful uh there's a part well first of all for people who don't know the song uh straight time the verse i'm specifically thinking of it's about an ex-con who comes home to his uh, wife and kids um and my favorite verse in it uh is kitchen floor in the evening tossing my little babies high Mary's smiling, but she's watching me out of the corner of her eye. Seems you can't get any more than half free, which is fucking great writing, first of all. Great job, Bruce Springsteen. And also, <laughs> like, I, th- I think that, like, that line, seems you can't get any more than half free, is kind of the entire point of this film. It's this way in which 
everyone is trapped. Everyone in this movie is trapped by something. Even if they're not physically in prison, they aren't free. They are trapped by society. They're trapped by the city they're in. They're trapped by the people they've known, the relationships they've had. And there's this, uh, there's this um, through line in the film that Istanbul is like a maze. You will get lost. Yes. And in many ways, Istanbul is like, I mean, there's two really wonderful things I think it does. Number one is the way that there's a final sequence that essentially uses the rooftops of Istanbul to parallel the fact that Baran earlier in his life hid away from the cops in the mountains. I thought that was like a brilliant parallel that it was delivering there. And also the way that he loses his safety in the city. I will say that. The city causes him to lose the thing that was keeping him safe. There's constantly this talk of getting lost and the fact that people are lost. They're constantly being lost. They don't know where they're going, what they're doing. They like when Baran first gets to the city, he's like, I don't fucking know where I'm going to find this guy that I'm looking for. I have no idea. I'm just going to look around the entire city till I find him. Um, I think it's a really beautiful film and I have so much more to say in it. Like I, I don't want to take forever on this because, um, we've already taken a lot of other time, <laughs> but I will say that like the, the part, one of the parts that really got me and that I think is like indicative of the way this film isn't what you think it is when it starts out is that there's a character who dies and another character says to them, or Baran, I can say Baran says to them, he says, don't be afraid. You will just go to soil, then you will become soil. Then you will walk to the body of a flower with waters. From there, you will reach the essence. A bee will get to the essence of the flower. Maybe that bee will be me. Which is... I, I'm getting chills reading that. Like, that's such a beautiful thing. The, the, the way in which like death is constantly happening around them, but life is also constantly happening around them. There's kids around them all the time. There's like new things happening. And this idea of like you were going to go back to the soil, but that part of you is going to be forever. And that part of you, maybe we'll meet some other time. Me as the bee and you as the flower. I don't know if that connects with you at all, but... I mean, in the abstract, yes, but clearly not to the point where it did with you. <laughs> um, what do you think of the ending ending, like the last sequence, without spoiling anything? Oh, fucking bawling my ass out, dude. Like, holy shit. <laughs> Amazing. Like, 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 like what a, it's a perfect end. Perfect. Time. I think I, I like I said in my letterbox review. I think I admired it more than I actually liked it. I, I, not that I hated it. Not that I disliked it. It was like, all right, okay, that's one way to do it. See, for me, it was like the emotional reaction came first, and a lot of my appreciation for like the filmmaking itself, which is quite excellent, I think, kind of came after that. Like as I already had this emotional connection to it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was would like flipped. I would very much recommend people watch this. I think you would even agree, even if like. I would, I would too. Do check it out. Yes. Do check it out. Check out The Bandit. Um, there's another movie that you might have already checked out. <laughs> you might have. <laughs> Certainly if you're me, you have checked it out and, uh, and, and a few times since you've seen it for the first time. It's a little movie called Reservoir Dogs. A uh, movie I've probably yeah. watched over 20 times. Yeah, I don't know. Like, This is one of those movies where I feel foolish talking about it. It's like, I, we're going to have to talk about like Quentin. We're going to have to talk about, like... He's, he's got quite a few movies in this list, so we'll have plenty of chances. Yeah, I mean, have we done... Uh, we, uh, Kill Bill, we've already done. Yes. Uh, this is this. Pulp Fiction's in here somewhere. Django Unchained is on here, and Glorious Bastards is on here. Yeah. Here's the, here's the thing with Quentin, and uh, this is something that can be said with uh, about, like, people like PTA and... Uh, and I guess even like, uh, Christopher Nolan is like, a lot of these, uh, like film bro favorites are actually good directors. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. I, I, I think that there is a, there's a rush 
and it's a rush that I'm also involved in, to decry things that are popular and to praise things that no one's heard of. And I'm not saying I'm into I, praising uh, things that I'm into praising things no one's heard of. Yeah, certainly. And like, I definitely I have no issues with like Piero Scarufi on his knowledge database being like the most overrated band oh, of man. all time is the Beatles. Like, go <laughs> Piero Scarufi. I fucking love that man. I love that website. There will never be anything like it. I don't know how that man does what he does. Like, he is theoretically got- a scientist, and he also reads seemingly like multiple books a week and listens to. Like a thousand albums a year every record, and watches yeah. every film that came out that year and just catalogs all of this on his knowledge database. And I got to shout out my version of that guy that I grew up with, that I grew up reading a guy mm-hmm. named, um, I, I believe his name is George, Str- uh, George Strarosin, who is a Russian film, crit- uh, a Russian <laughs> music critic whose website was called only solitaire, which is a Jethro Tull reference. So, you know, <laughs> about the level that you're working on and I don't know if he's any good, but he certainly was fucking prolific. I mean, I, certainly I, kind of instrumental in my development as like a guy who liked music. I, mean, I totally feel the same way where I'm like, I don't think that Piero Scurfi is great at writing music criticism, but I do think that like, he is where I found out about like Royal Trucks and I wouldn't have ever listened to Black Ark by Carl Crack without him recommending it. It being in like one of his greatest rock albums of all time things. He, like, made me listen to Vampire Rodents. He made me listen to uh, Spring Hill Jack. Like, there's so many albums I only listened to because they were, like, on his, like, top albums list. And I was like, this guy seems to have weird taste. He likes – his favorite album of all time is Trap Mask Replica. I also adore Trap Mask Replica. What other weird shit you got for me? And, I mean, a lot of my – like, if you look at my, like, current – one of my favorite albums of all time, a lot of them are just picks from Piero Scarufi's list because I was like, holy shit, like – Twin Infinitives is one of the best albums ever. This is a mess. I love it. Or Black Ark is one of the best albums ever. This is a mess. I love it. Which seems to be his MO. Um, big, big ups to guys with very unique tastes and prolific output. Yeah, it, does his website suck royal ass too? Is it oh, just yeah. like it's, it's still like web 1.0 shit? <laughs> 100% and I don't ever want okay, to change. Yeah. Uh, uh, George Farrosen was basically my introduction to Jethro Tull and 10CC. Nothing yeah. so like, nothing like mega obscure, but I would not have like like started listening to 10cc without reading about 10cc on that dude's website so sure. big ups on a slightly similar note like a uh, british prog rock i wouldn't have gotten into without uh Scarufi. like he was really into like gong and soft machine and right. stuff like that yeah, like all the canterbury bands and shit exactly yeah he like adores the canterbury scene which i don't adore it but i i, I quite enjoy soft machine and henry cow and gong so and robert white's solo tell- career I, I i tried listening to the to robert white's solo albums they're Interesting. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I mean, shout out to Robert Wyatt, though. I mean, fuck. What a career. Ah, oh, man. Uh, so what the hell? Oh, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Um, so, okay. So the plot of Reservoir Dogs is... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like... It's, 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 it's a heist gone wrong. Yes. That's basically, that's basically it. There's not a whole lot more to it. And it's... It's uh, it's Quentin Tarantino's sort of grand arrival. It's his big declaration. Here the fuck I am. Because the first fucking voice you hear in this movie is Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> talking about Madonna. He ca- talking about Madonna, famously. And I have to respect the sheer unmitigated gall, the balls on this guy to be like, I'm going to write the script like this. I'm going to be the first person to talk. And I'm going to cast myself alongside Harvey Keitel and Tim Roth. <laughs> oh, God. I- I'm going to put myself in... I'm going to make myself the equal to these guys, even though, quite famously, listen, I 
I like you know I I have a, a membership to the film bro to the film bro film store. I love Quentin Tarantino, but if there is one person who constantly gets in the way of Quentin Tarantino, it's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will address other shit when I mean, we talk about other. You're movies. a really big fan of Destiny Turns on the Radio, though. I don't what Destiny Turns on the Radio. This is literally the only. The only thing I know about it is that I use it as a joke reference uh, for okay. for Quentin Tarantino. He plays Johnny Destiny. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I believe he also has an uncredited co-write, co-write, co-writing thing on it. It's supposed to be terrible. I'm never going to watch mm-hmm. it. But uh, it's definitely a thing. But I, I will say that you can never accuse Quentin Tarantino of not being confident. Oh, he had, yeah, if I had that, like, if I had that level of just confidence in my bullshit, I would be unstoppable. <laughs> Which definitely sometimes, like, but, is, is great. Like, like, you don't come out with a movie like Reservoir Dogs when you aren't confident. Yeah, Quentin is so guileless. <laughs> but it's like, it's, the, the conversation that I keep hearing about Quentin Tarantino is like, oh, he's just some asshole who, who watches a ton of movies and does things he thinks is cool. It's like, that's Doug Walker. Yeah. <laughs> That's, but, 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 but also like, like, where do you think your favorite filmmakers get their ideas? Wait, what so do you the, think they make? I think that whole thing of like, oh, like it, he takes his ideas from other places or he just like references their movies and like watches their movies. Like that is basically every filmmaker. There are very, not very other few movies? filmmakers who don't like movies. And you, I've seen this done poorly. Like I said, it's like Doug Walker. It's a nostalgia critic shit like that. You can be that person. Let's, you, you can let's you beat can, up on Doug Walker. Oh, he's, please! He's he's gotten beat up so much. I feel like at this point, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to add to that kicking? Did you see fucking Dan Olson's video about his oh, it was so the good wall thing? It was so fucking shout good. Out, shout out to Dan Olson for real though. My my second favorite Canadian, Derek. <laughs> do I dare ask who is your first? It's you. It was supposed to be a nice <laughs> thing to you, dickhead. That's that's very sweet. Thank you. Oh God! Now, now it's Neil Young because you were a bitch about it. <laughs> so what am I? Th- so what am I third now behind Dan Olson and Neil Young? That's not bad. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no to that. I'm put you behind Drake too. I don't even like Drake very much, but I couldn't think of anyone really <laughs> quickly. So, um, so it goes. It's like Neil Young, Dan Olson, Drake, uh, Wayne Gretzky, <laughs> uh, the guy who plays bass for Sloan, Leonard Cohen, Grimes, me. I'm ninth. <laughs> Let's bump Leonard Cohen up a couple notches there. But um, all right. Cool. <laughs> But no, like, like, there's bad ways to do this reference thing. There's sure. bad ways to do this. I'm a big movie fan. There's bad ways to be a video guy. It takes talent to still make a movie like this. Like, I yes, don't care how many other does. movies you've seen. Being able to make this movie is difficult, whether you like it or not. Like, this is not just someone shitting stuff out. And mm-hmm. as much as I almost feel bad for the fact that I like every single Quentin Tarantino movie. Because it yep. feels so cliche. It feels like, oh my yep. god, I'm that person who likes every single Quentin Tarantino movie. What a fucking dumbass motherfucker. Like, but the worst I Quentin do... Tarantino movie is Django Unchained, Yes, right? yes, I agree with that. And that movie rules! <laughs> I wouldn't say it rules, I still give it like three and a half stars, I'll say. I give it a four. It's still, still, still a good movie. Still wouldn't mind still throwing it on. It's a good movie! And it's, it's got a lot of like fun stuff in it. It has a it's really a good of example stuff. of Quentin Tarantino stepping on his own dick, but... Mm-hmm. Um, fucking Reservoir Dogs, like, this movie cooks. Like, I, I've seen this movie so many it times. Cooks. I watched it all the time when I was in high school. It was, like, one of the first movies mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, movies. Movies are a thing. Which is yeah, also a super cliche first. thing. 
Yeah, I saw Pulp Fiction first, but this was like, fuck, this dude is the real deal. Yeah, I, I watched those on repeat like so many times because it's not just that it's entertaining, which is incredibly entertaining. Like his dialogue is, it sure it is. still crackles. It still is like kind of perfect dialogue. Sorry, people. Like it really is. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, even uh, that opening thing about are- like Madonna, which should be cliche by now, she'd be kind of cringe. It's, st- I think, still think it works. It, it also lays out the character of the people talking. It's not just, it's pretty funny. I want to talk about this thing I had a thought about. It's like a, hey, here's this way this character acts. Here's how they would react to this conversation. Here's how this character thinks about tipping. And maybe that has implications on how they would act on certain situations. It's not mm-hmm. just for bullshit. It is good writing in that it's actually telling like us about our characters. It is building something while also being it's funny. Not, it's not that they are talking about Madonna and tipping. It's how they are talking about Madonna and tipping. Exactly. And of course, you get um, the immortal dialogue exchange, which is, you kill anybody? A few cops. No real people. <laughs> just cops. <laughs> yeah. It's it's so fucking good. It's like uh, Harvey Keitel, fucking excellent. Tim Roth, just fucking amazing. It's like uh, T- Michael has- Madsen, basically the role that defined him for the rest of his career. Yeah, the role he is still playing right now. Yes. Mostly in Quentin Tarantino films. <laughs> um... Uh, Steve, Buscemi. Steve Buscemi, great. Chris Penn, really good. So, so yeah, it's a heist that goes wrong. There's Stephen like Wright. Two, there's like Stephen Wright is the DJ. <laughs> what a um, great choice. Awesome. Uh, good music. Um, the th- here's the thing. This movie spawned a million imitators. We just referenced this, mm-hmm. and the thing that all a lot of those other movies, like you know, like things to do in Denver when you're dead or whatever. Fuck. Yeah. Thanks for like reminding me of that. Movie- <laughs> it's like those movies are dumb. <laughs> yes. They're poor they're poorly written and they're poorly put together. It's like they took all the wrong lessons from Reservoir Dogs. Is there anything in any of those post Reservoir Dogs, post pulp fiction uh movies that's half as tender as Kaitel combing Tim Roth's hair when he's fucking bleeding, like right at the the top of this movie? No. Yeah, and that's, that's like how it starts in a lot of like, like that's like one of the first big emotional beat you get in a lot of ways, and it's like, yeah, that's the second scene. Yeah, and it is like you said, it's so tender. It's like it's really beautiful and like touching, and clearly like not played for a joke or anything like that. Like this is a serious thing. These are two men who care about each other, thing. who are in a situation where like there's bad shit happening, and they don't know if they're going to live. One of them's probably not going to live, and one of them's trying to comfort the other one, and it just works. It's, it's, it's a great piece of filmmaking. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a lot, uh, if we're going to compare it to The Bandit, I think it's a lot, it's a lot showier. Uh, The Bandit is a lot more downbeat and play, it's like, it's got more, a lot more of a slow burn, which, and Reservoir Dogs is more like, hey, how you doing? Bang, bang. How you like that? Here I am, motherfuckers. This is it. And it's like, it's, it's nonstop. Should we explain the plot it's, of Reservoir Dogs real quick for people who haven't seen it? it I, sa- I already said it. It's a heist that goes wrong. Yeah, I guess. Oh yeah, and and there's an under and there's an undercover cop yes. played by Tim Roth. Yes, that's like the sort of thing. I think that, and, that's, that's, uh, that's a fair thing to bring up, no matter what. Yeah, um, this is one of those movies where I feel like a complete dunce trying to talk about it. I mean, I mean, like the problem is that so much of this film has been encoded into just like cliche. Like you cannot mm-hmm. hear the Steelers' wheel song without thinking of Reservoir Dogs. It is. It is that song now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I associated with is my old podcast with Juan. (laughs) 
But yeah, generally, if if I hear stuck in the middle with you, I'm thinking of the scene in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And it's because it's a fucking great scene. The way the camera moves, the way that, that like, I love the fact that it just goes behind him and, and like, you don't see the ear getting cut off, but you see it after nope. it's cut off and it's just in it. Like, he's just hang- dangling it and you see the fucking hole on the guy, side of the guy's head. And yeah, it's gross as hell. It's gross as hell. Uh, but it's, it works. It's, it's not just like trying to like do the thing. It's also expressing what, like how dangerous Michael Madsen is. Fuck, I mean, like, like you said, like, like it's hard to th- think of anything new to come with here. But I, uh, that sequence where Tim Roth is practicing the cover story he has, and you see the cover story play out as he's telling it to them, and as he's oh, practicing, that's a really good scene. It is such a good use of cross cutting, and like you, these three different versions of this exact same event, two different fictionalized versions, and one version that's real, all being played together and playing against each other, and you seeing how things evolve through that. And that's like a great location to yeah. just the graffiti the fuck out. Just I don't know if that's like a like a stage or just like an abandoned building with like a porch or something. But that's a great great location. Yeah. What a what a thing. Again, like that's the yeah. kind of thing. Like like if you just want to dismiss Tarantino, I don't think you can dismiss something like that. You can say you don't like it. That's totally fair. If there's plenty of good reasons not to like Tarantino. I think. Sure. But in terms of just saying like, oh, he doesn't. He's not really a good filmmaker he doesn't know how he doesn't really know what he's doing is like maybe the critique you uh, like, no no <laughs> the proof as they say is in the pudding yeah or in the uh uh enlarging pool of blood around tim roth <laughs> so now we come to the decision uh uh-huh. it's pretty it's pretty clear where you're gonna land you want to explicate it for the people though i think it's reservoir dogs okay but i'm really interested to see if you're going to go consensus or if you're gonna go heart and like fucking twist my arm it's the bandit, like not even, not even close, not even close, not even close. Uh, two, two reasons. Number one is I think Reservoir Dogs is fucking excellent, four and a half star movie. I think Bandit is five star movie. I can't wait to watch it again. I think it is bringing something entirely new that the rest of the list doesn't have to hear as well. Something entirely new to like my life. I had never seen this movie before. It emotionally devastated me like i found it so powerful and moving and i think the filmmaking is wonderful there's not a single thing i think is wrong <laughs> with uh the bandit and this I, is a... I think there's more to talk about it with as well <laughs> i mean you maybe but um well i well we've already exhausted what we were going to say about fucking reservoir dogs um this is one of the rare instances where you have liked both movies more than me wow interesting because stop because it's a hater derek <laughs> I mean, Reservoir Dogs is a four for me. And is your Bandit's name Bill? Because you're being a real hater right now. Oh boy! Ugh. Ugh. You can't see me, but I'm tugging my collar <laughs> on, on my on my t-shirt that doesn't have a collar. Um. All right, so I'm going to go to the big board, and I'm going to see what's going on. Uh, okay. I don't remember if Kill Bill made it through to round. No, it got okay, but there's. There's so many other Tarantino movies on here. One of them's going to move forward. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. So Eternal Sunshine law, uh, beat Kill Bill. And Glorious Patch is going against the Sixth Sense. That's actually kind of tough. Um, uh, yeah, that could be opinion. an interesting matchup. Pulp Fiction is going up against... Pulp Fiction against Tangerines. Tangerines which I have no idea what that is. Not Tangerine. Not the Sean Baker film. Yes. But Tangerines. But tanger- Tangerines, which I don't, I'm not familiar with. It's the, uh, the song by uh, Regina Spector. Um... I was going to say it's a song by the Canadian group Moist, but I believe that's just Tangerine. 
Um, yeah, it's a... Oh, I'm sorry. The song is called That Time by Regina Spector. I apologize to all the fellow spect- Spector heads. Spector heads. Not Spector heads, parentheses minus Phil. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Tangerines is an Estonian-Georgian film. Uh, gotten, uh, it was nominated for Best... Uh, this is an 87-minute... I like that runtime. It's yeah. a good runtime. Uh, Django Unchanged is going against Ben-Hur. Interesting. Interesting. Very Never interesting. Never seen Ben-Hur, so... No, neither have I, actually. I've only seen Ben-Him. <laughs> is that one of those movies that you talk about with JB on For a Good Time? <laughs> I, I like that quite a bit. Thank you, Derek. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah uh, Tangerines is like a war... It's like a war drama. There's quite a few of those on the list, too. Yeah, people love um, fucking war movies. So, okay, um, I'm pretty... Well, what's, Pulp, what's Pulp Fiction going Tan- up against? Tangerines. It's going up against this Estonian war drama. Oh, yes. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot. Yes. And uh, so this list came out in 2018. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, not on this list. I don't think it'd be on their current one, either. Uh, it, people didn't really love it. I thought people liked it pretty pretty generally. Okay, so the, I so you're right. It's, I don't want... What happened to David Fincher to happen to Quentin Tarantino? As much as I love David Fincher... 7.6. That's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, currently. 7.6 out of 10. Oh, interesting. Okay. I guess people are just kind of put off by, like, the runtime. <laughs> and the kind of... Diff- the fact that, like, and, like it, it, there's not much happens in it, and it's very lazy for most of the film. It's very... Diff- which is what I like. It's very diffuse. It's a great hangout movie, but... Yeah. You could see some real good shots of... Uh, Los Angeles? No. The uh, the human being. Brad is called... Brad Pitt? Thank you. <laughs> it was like, was it Leo, Margot Robbie, fucking? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a pretty photogenic trio. But all that to say, okay, in the in like okay, in the interest of the podcast, like whatever, <laughs> like whatever goes up, whatever wins here will probably get beat by whatever wins next in our next mm. match that we're going to be talking mm. about. So mm. I'm not going to feel too bad saying goodbye to Reservoir Dogs because of the Quentin movies in the list, it's probably my second to least favorite. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Because it's probably going to be – and Hateful Eight is not on this list either, right? No. So it's probably so – going- we, got, we got Pulp and Glorious Bastards, um, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill Volume 1, and Django. So for me, it's probably Pulp, Bastards, Kill Bill, Reservoir – uh, Django. So I don't feel mm. too, too bad about letting Reservoir Dogs go. Assuming one of okay. those other movies gets through. Okay. Fair. So congratulations to Dark Horse entry The Bandit on upsetting the favorite Reservoir Dogs. Moving on to round number two. And in round number two, they will face the winner of this fucking ridiculous matchup that we got here. <laughs> God. This is... This is like you said. This this is maybe the hardest one we've done so far. I think this I mean, the is only the close one is Yojimbo, and yeah, I, I agree. Um, so our second matchup, the tale of the tape, the fifty three seed, the Great Dictator, released in nineteen forty, uh, written and directed by Charlie Chaplin, starring Charlie Chaplin, Paulette Goddard, Jack Oakey, Henry P- uh, Henry Daniel, and Reginald Gardner, cost two million dollars in nineteen uh, forties bucks, which is like. 35 40 million dollars in our in our time and made 3.5 at the domestic box office nominated for five academy awards and getting zero wins that's right one of the greatest movies of all time a big old goose egg at the academy awards versus 
the 204 seed Mad Max colon Fury Road released in fuck I didn't write down the year 2015 right uh 2015 yes correct okay. uh, uh directed by George Miller written by George Miller Brendan McCarthy and Nico Lathuris starring Tom Hardy Charlie Theron and Nicholas Holt uh, I have uh, varying figures for budget going from 155 to 185 million dollars. Made 375.4 million dollars at the uh, domestic box office. A bona fide sensation, uh, a smash hit. Um, it went six for ten at the Academy Awards, winning mostly technical awards, but netting nominations for best director and best picture, and widely considered to be one of the great movies of the 2010s. Yes. This is unfair for a first round matchup. <laughs> yes, th- these are both movies I want to have in the second round. Like not even close. If if we were to build out a movie hall of fame, this is something that I like doing just for fun because I'm a <laughs> fucking dork. Charlie Chaplin, no doubt, would be one of the charter members in this hall of fame. Yes, like maybe an initial class too. Yeah, like it. Like you could go like. If we're doing some something a little wider and we're going with like builders and we're including like below the line people and we're including a bunch of even still your chart your charter list looks like something like uh the Lumiere brothers uh um uh, Alice Guy uh Charlie Chaplin Buster Keaton Alfred Hitchcock Orson Welles uh fucking that's like that's a pretty good like starting like five right yeah, I, I mean, I would personally add Godard in there just because he's been so influential, and that that would get your little art house thing in there. Like, but yeah, I haven't even like I haven't even gotten that far in. Like, I'm like, when we're doing our initial class, we gotta keep it to like the first fifty years of cinema or something, because otherwise, okay. it's like, when are we going to put in like Manny Lubetsky and Edith Head and fucking Gordon Willis or whatever? Okay, but, fair, fair. But like, but. I think it's not controversial to say Charlie Chaplin is a charter member of this as uh, a right, as like a triple threat, and we'll add four as like a stunt person. Yes, agreed. And you could argue, like the Hall of Fame case for George Miller is a little shakier, just because, well, who can who can rival Chaplin? But you could make the argument that uh, George Miller has made two of the greatest action movies of two different decades, four decades apart. He made The Road Warrior, and he made Mad Max Fury Road. He has an Oscar for Happy He made Feet, Babe 2 Pig in the City, which also fucking owns. He made, uh, he made Babe. Uh, he made Babe Pig in the City. Um, you could conceivably put him on like the Mount Rushmore of directors from Australia and New Zealand, because that's what... Oh, easy. That's like Peter Weir, Jane Campion, Peter Weir. <laughs> uh, George Miller, and... Whoever directed Rawhead Rex. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe, <laughs> may, okay, maybe like, is Baz Luhrmann Australian? Let's put Baz Luhrmann in there. Oh, yeah, yeah, Fuck, I love Baz Luhrmann. So, so, I know you're not as high in him, but yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen most of the corpus, to be fair, but like, I think, I think if your top three is Weir, Miller, Campion, that's pretty good. That's good company yeah. to be in. I don't think he was ever the best director in the world, but there was several times where he's the best work, best director in Australia. And yeah. he, he's proven that he's had dynamic range because he has the Mad Max movies. He's done Babe. He's done Happy Feet, which is, that's what he got his Oscar for. He's an Oscar winner. Witches of Eastwick? Uh, 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 which is, uh, 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 I was about to say Rich, Witches of Breastwick, and that's entirely. <laughs> that's your, a Jim Wynorski film. That's your fault entirely. Uh, Witches of Eastwick, Lorenzo's Oil. Uh, the man has like range, but you could make a case that maybe not initial class, but sometime down the line, you put in George Miller. Yeah, both I, of, I can see that. And both of these movies, 
are going to be the, like, I don't know about Chaplin because Chaplin died in the 70s and I haven't seen like the obits. But you could argue that both of these movies in this matchup are like the quintessential movies by these people. They're the first one you talk about. And both involving iconic characters that both these creators had a hand in creating. The Great Dictator is like the last hurrah for the Tramp character. And uh, Mad Max Fury Road features a kind of rebirth of Max Rockatansky, post-Mel Gibson. Yes. They are both movies less, about... Less anti-Semitic. Less, a lot less anti-Semitic. <laughs> um, they are both movies about fascism. Yes. They are... And about a man being unlikely being an unlikely political actor in the destruction of fascism yeah there, there are people who would rather not get involved but kind of get involved in spite of themselves and and you know help a cause greater than themselves um they are both uh they're both movies with really good um I, physicality great physicality thanks because i i didn't want to like say stunts because there's a lot of good physical stuff in the great dictator, but I don't think I would count a lot of it as like, there are a lot, there, a lot of them are mostly gags, but there's a lot of great. It, physi- it's his least stunty film. That's right. But there's a lot of good physical acting in both of these. Um, yes. They, they are of a pair in such a way that it is even more absurd that they happen to meet each other in round one. Yes. Oh yeah. And by the way, they're both fucking masterpieces. <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree with that. Um, so let's talk about the great, uh, the great dictator in greater, uh, the great dictator in greater detail first. Greater detail, gotcha. The greater detail, which is a Jack Nicholson movie. I believe you. That's a reference to the last detail, which is an actual Jack Nicholson movie. Okay, I all I know about the movie is it looks hella gay, but apparently it's not. It's not, but um, but uh, Randy Quaid is really good in it. <laughs> okay, that's. So, uh, thanks for the counter offer there, Derek. I, I don't get the homosexuality, but I do get Randy Quaid. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, you take what you can get. You take what you can get. Um, so, Randy Quaid pride flag. <laughs> <laughs> that's so fucking funny. <laughs> oh my god, that's so absurd. Especially now that he's like sort of a that he's a little wackadoo, right? Yeah, he's a conspiracy theorist. He, mm. I mean, um, is he still friends with Tom Arnold? Because I know Tom Arnold's a big conspiracy guy now. Uh, oh, yeah. He was on that one episode of uh, QAnon Anonymous, right? Yes. Uh, where he has said some wild ass shit. <laughs> um, so, the, uh, I was going to say The Last Dictator. The Great Dictator, then. So, this is a movie about the rise of fascism in Germany. This is a movie that uh, famously or infamously... Uh, Chaplin had some slight regrets of doing once he found out what the extent of the atrocities in Nazi Germany actually were. Which is interesting that I want to bring up later. Which, you know, fair, but I see, see, here's, I'm, I'm, I disagree with Charlie Chaplin. Okay. (laughs) Um, for, for two big reasons. Number one is that I think that this is actually remarkably perceptive and like it seemed to have like predicted things we didn't know yet yeah this movie is 80 years old and has not lost an ounce of like relevance or importance yeah and even like like the so when this was made a lot of the details of exactly like what the nazi regime was like were not known I mean, they were known more than a lot of people will say a lot of people will like say that like the concentration camps weren't known as much as they were in germany that's a whole different issue. Short version is check your sources. A lot of people knew about them and a lot more than are willing to let on. 
there's actually a really good book about that with like interviews of like former people who like worked in and around concentration camps but pretend yeah. that they don't know anything about yeah there's that. a lot of people there, there's a lot of people who said they were basically just gulags but they weren't yes <laughs> um but even without like having the full knowledge that he would have later i think this is a film that takes seriously what it needs to take serious mm-hmm. i don't think it ever portrays hey Jewish people being lynched isn't that funny? Like, <laughs> like, like, like when those scenes happen, it is very direct. Like, whoa, we yeah, are yeah, changing yeah. drastically Whip- in tone yeah, very quickly. Whiplash, yeah, which I think is very one of the cool things of the movie. Like, one of the things I think works extremely well. Like, I think that tone is difficult, but it actually, I thought it was it consistently worked how it's supposed to work. This is something but that also, Chaplin gets better with. He gets better at this with time. Yes, you can see the progression uh-huh. from like the shorts to the longer stuff. To like the late late stuff, where that juggling of tone, where he can mix the sweet and sour a bit more effectively. This is a really good example of him doing it well. Especially like it would get even better in uh, Monsieur Vadu. Exactly. Which highly recommended. Not a lot of people have seen that as much as the other ones that are classic. Holy shit, that's the, one of the best anti capitalist movies ever made. Fucking love it. Um, but like in terms of like whether it's some like knowing more of the extent maybe he would take it more seriously or like he wouldn't have done the movie or something like that i think the reason that i wouldn't say that is because a like i said it is respectful of things that are like actually serious it doesn't mock the things that shouldn't be mocked like it its target is clearly nazi germany and to a lesser extent nazi uh or sorry fascist italy that's right and it's not just that it also really takes aim at a lot of people who i think would get a pass in other films like the way that it shows even things that today aren't talked about as much, like the way in which Jewish people were fine with the Nazis if they were doing something that they wanted to be done. Like if you were useful, if you had a lot of money and we could get that from you, then oh, we, we won't persecute the Jews anymore until all of a sudden you don't want to do that. And then it's like back on, which is very much something we see played out over and over and over again, but doesn't get acknowledged enough in like contemporary fascist movements. Um, and the ways in which... Um, I mean, just the ways in which violence progresses, I feel like it actually does very well with, like, the initial intimidation and threats evolving into full-on, like, pogroms and, like, the raiding of the ghetto is really scary and terrifying in the film in a really, really, like, affecting way. And more than that, I think that when you're portraying Hitler, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Or, like, what's his name? Anodyne Hinkler? Yes. Or Hinkle? Anodyne Hinkle. Yes. Um, Which is if you're very funny, by the way. <laughs> yes. Um, if you are doing that, there's a lot of ways to do it. And the problem with a lot of serious versions of this is you'll take it very seriously and be like, oh, this was a terrible person. And they did all these awful things. And that's how you get like American History X, for example. And you know who fucking loves American History X? Nazis. It's neo-Nazis, Derek. That's mm. who loves American History X. That's not to say that – obviously, not, uh, that's part of the audience, not the entire audience. I think sure. for some people, it works for the things it's actually trying to be, which is very clearly an anti-racist film. But the point is, if you if you lean too much into the serious thing and you portray Nazis and neo-Nazis as, like, scary in that way, as as competent, essentially, then you end up getting – them reclaiming that almost i mean even in like we talked before we i mean we talked a minute ago about uh the wall by pink floyd uh-huh. tendentially in relation to doug walker oh. but there's a reason that like the hammer skins took their name from that even though that's clearly a bad thing in the movie 
yeah. because they're portrayed as effective, as violent, as scary. And that's what you want to be. So it doesn't matter what the context is. Whereas I've never seen neo-Nazis singing Reclaim songs this, from, yeah. the, from the producers or right. neo-Nazis like, who are really big fans of The Great Dictator. Like, I think those things are in many ways more effective for actually commenting and parodying in ways that can't be reclaimed later on than the more serious-minded films can be. Does that make there, sense? Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, as, as anodyne as it sounds, there is something to be said about defanging something terrible through comedy as an art form, not as like sort of a lifestyle or, or as praxis necessarily, but definitely as a work of art. Yeah. Because I mean, like, what do you, what is, what are you going to do with art? Like not not to, not to like, here's the thing. I I love art, Derek. You know me. Art's great. Art doesn't take political action. No. Art, art can inspire political action. Sometimes art can like occasionally change people's minds and do, you know, all the great things art's supposed to do. I'm not saying it doesn't do that, but I think that whenever we are critics or whenever people are making art, we should always keep that Kurt Vonnegut bit in our minds. So he says, he said, during the Vietnam War, every respectable artist in this country was against the war. It was like a laser beam. We were all aimed in the same direction. The power of this weapon turns out to be that of a custard pie dropped from the stepladder six feet high. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um... So we're not like, we are not saying, can satire save the Republic? And then, <laughs> but we are saying that, like, I think that defanging can have its uses and can be part of a total package and can be more effective in that package than the more serious takes can be sometimes. Yeah. Satire is a good utility player, but you don't want, you don't want them like as your staff ace. Yes. Oh gosh. Uh, should we move to the next movie or should we continue here for a little bit? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. I still like, I don't care if it's like corny or utopian or whatever, but the last six minutes of this movie, A, one of the greatest six minutes in cinema history, B, never fails to move me. It's like, I cry every fucking time. I don't care if that makes me fucking like lame as hell. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I think people, if they're not charitable, they'll, I've seen people accused of being didactic, which it is, but that's not always a bad thing. There are definitely good ways to be didactic. I think it is a really beautiful speech, a really beautiful ending to the film. And even if I like, if I put on my thinking cap, I'm like, I have some quibbles with the politics here. (laughs) You know, I'm me. Uh, And it's very like, it's a liberal view of the world, let's say, which as a communist, you know, I I have my issues with, but I think, (laughs) I I think it's vision of people is beautiful. Like you said, It's, it's like the, the idea that what people want is to care. What people want, and they've been forced into other other ways of being, forced by people who don't care about them. You know. Uh, I will also say one thing um, that's big plus for me in this movie. Uh, I guess what we said in the beginning doesn't have as many stunts and as many uh, like pratfalls and things like that. Mm-hmm. But there's still such a grace to the way Chaplin moves. Yeah. Uh, like it's balletic. In yeah. The whole like the whole bit with the globe there. Yeah, which is amazing. Like, it's funny. It's a very funny bit, but it's also like, wow, like you are moving in a way that it looks like you shouldn't be able to do in a way that looks like it's too easy. <laughs> and you're making this whole, like, like when he jumps onto the desk, it's, it's like one movement. Like, it's not like, oh, I have to crouch down, then I have to jump up. It's just like, it barely looks like it takes him any effort to jump from the floor to this desk, which is like amazing. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, like, it, it, it's like old physical comedians. Like, I mean, you can say the thing about Buster Keaton, say the same thing about Harold Lloyd. They had such control over every part of their body movement. So it's like mod- a lot of modern martial arts uh, performers. You have this dance-like grace. It's like articulation that is so precise and so perfect that it seems inhuman sometimes. <sighs> what a great movie. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, uh, great dictator. Great movie, turns out. Turns out. Um, now let's talk about a terrible movie, Derek. <laughs> oh, wait. I mean, I don't have a terrible movie on my card. I, what I have here is Mad Max Fury Road. This is my, my heel turn. I'm going to start oh, saying no. that, that Fury Road is terrible. Oh, my God. No, even, even the, I, with my there, dedication the, to contrarianism. There are people who are down on this movie. Believe it or not. This movie has, like, one of the highest Q ratings I can think of for, like, any movie. But... There are some people who are still down on it. I don't like. Maybe they're not into awesome stunts or crack direction or storytelling through texture and set design or superlative um, use of speed cranking. Or Derek, I think you are ignoring the fact that this is uh, an SJW movie uh, about <laughs> how <laughs> how women are better than men and oh how it's actually God. it's actually misandrist when you think about it and it's called should... Mad Max. <laughs> um, but but Tom really doing all the, the fighting? Fucking poster. Uh, um, women shouldn't act like Furiosa, Derek. Come on, that is on that that is ignoring traditional gender roles. That's not very trad wife of her. I mean, I'm pretty sure that gender roles went out the door with the gas apocalypse, man. <laughs> I mean, hey, you know, um, Immortan Joe uh, does have a, a, like quite a few wives, and that's like how it's supposed to be. I'm playing in this in this bit. This is apparently, a, this is a character, <laughs> a, a a Mormon anti SJW who is still into the whole polygamy thing. That is, and probably is also a libertarian. That is the character I've created in this head, and probably also based on what I know about like the Mormon community in Salt Lake City. Also, probably is a pedophile, but oh, no. that's based on evidence. I'm not just saying that. That's a re- watch the movie on clean flicks and all the other attempts to by Mormons to like do safe for work and safe for family versions of films. Can you imagine a fucking clean flicks version of Mad Max Fury Road? <laughs> It'd be like the uh, PG version of Freddy Got Fingered that's included as a bonus on the DVD. That's like two minutes long. Oh my god, it's great. Um, so Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. Is how does one say without sounding uh, hyperbolic. hyperbolic? It's perfect. This, this movie is a miracle. Yeah, this movie—the fact that it got made in the first place—like, who was making a? When you said, "Hey, we're going to make a Mad Max movie in 2010s, like thirty, what, like twenty, thirty years after the last one got made, even a series that no one fucking knows anymore. Like, kids don't know what Mad Max is before this. We are going to shoot in the Namibian desert, yes, forever. <laughs> And with we're going to do all, stunt- almost all practical stunts. <laughs> with a crew and- of 300 stunt people. All the cars are real. We built them. With human hands, we built these monstrosities <laughs> that look awesome on screen. Whether they are driving at full speed or blowing, being blown to fucking smithereens. You know when I, you know when we did Raiders of the Lost Ark and I was like, this is a fucking movie? Well, fucking Mad Max Fury Road, by God, is a fucking movie. You know, I finally agree with you. <laughs> um, I would like to read a quote from a director we both like uh, that we referenced earlier in the show, Mr. Steven Soderbergh. Okay. I just watched Mad Max Fury Road again last week, and 
I tell you, I and I tell you, I couldn't direct 30 seconds of that. I'd put a gun in my mouth. I don't understand how George Miller does that. I really don't. And it's my job to understand it. I don't understand two things. I don't understand how they're not still shooting that film. And I don't understand how hundreds of, how hundreds of people aren't dead. Yeah. Yeah. That's Steven Soderbergh saying that. That dude is like the director's director. And has he's been. A, he's for a guy all who knows what life. he's doing. Like he's a guy who, like, for fun, will re-edit other people's movies. Yeah, he he did the Raiders re-edit. He re-edit. Uh, no, did he do a Raiders re-edit? No, it was um, Heaven's. Uh, it was Heaven's Gate that he re-edited. Yes, right? yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, done, he's done quite a few. Like, I think it's just like his hobby. The dude edits masterpieces for fun. Okay, George Miller and his team, because this this feels kind of like a group thing where it's like. Yeah. More you than don't a lot get, of you movies, don't get here with just one guy deciding everything. It's not just other. it's the storyboarding. It's Brendan McCarthy, who's a comics guy who got brought in. There, there were sort of consultant. There was a there was a feminist consultant that was brought on for like that group of like bi- of like biker old ladies. Mm-hmm. There was uh, the stunt coordinator um, who had a team of stunt people, a bunch of them from the Cirque du Soleil. There was the production design, that sumptuous production design. Yes. Which was done by the same dude who did the bus from Priscilla Queen of the Desert. <laughs> I I did not know that. That, that dude that dude's name is Colin Gibson, no relation. And <laughs> his two big credits are uh The Adventures of Priscilla Queen of the Desert and Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> this okay, so basically this is the story. So there's there is also a fascist despot in this movie. Uh, named Immortan Joe, who is, uh, played by, what the fuck is his name? Uh, his name is, um, Hugh Keys Burn. Hugh Keys Burn, if you don't know, played Toe Cutter in the original Mad Max. So he, they, and also he, former member of the Royal Shakespearean Theater Company. A good actor. Um, uh, so comes back. Also coming back out of retirement is John Seal, the cinematographer, who makes this movie look fucking fantastic. Incredible. Like, desert shouldn't look this good. Desert shouldn't look this good. So it's, uh, this despot who controls this, who controls the water supply. Uh, there's this group of people who are like basically just starving for water and they, and he has them under their thumb. He who controls the water controls the people, especially in a de- post apocalyptic desert wasteland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, he's got like this, uh, this army of trophy wives, uh, one of whom is Zoe Kravitz, one of whom is Riley Keough. Uh, one of them is, uh, Rosie Huntington Whitley. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he has an Imperator who I guess is kind of like a trucker or some shit. I don't know, man. This world is thick with lore. Um, I, I, it's someone who, to explain, which is the best. Which is the best. Someone who works for him basically to like, ba- who like, I guess runs convoys, who is played by Charlize Theron. Um, and, uh, she smuggles them out. With the intention of going to what is called the green place, which is, I guess, this sort of uh, utopic place where there's still a, there's still like greenery and shit, you know, a better place. Yeah. And somewhere in the fucking wasteland is Max Rockatansky, played by fucking Tom Hardy, in the mumbliest performance you ever did see. Tom I, I, Hardy. Tom Hardy is. Here's the thing. He's an incredible actor who can be incredibly l- l- like like subtle and like really moving and beautiful. But he seems to like just enjoy taking roles where he can be, he can be 
Max, he could be fucking Venom. He can just do that shit, and it's great. He can be Bane. He can just go on his fucking shit. You know and who the that's why Venom is a good movie, and from, it's why from the, the director of Zombieland. <laughs> and it's why Max works here for me is that he looks like an like a feral animal a lot of the time, and I mean that positively. Tom Hardy, you know who the comp is for Tom Hardy, and I just thought of this. It's '90s Brad Pitt. Yes, yes. It's it's one of the world's most handsome men trying to be as ugly as possible on screen. It's like yeah. I want to hide the fact that I'm maybe one of the five hottest people on earth. <laughs> and it's like you, and he's like, he's a fantastic. Like we've we've seen like you've seen Bronson, you've seen yeah. Tom Hardy just be awesome in a movie. Bronson's incredible. And it's like, here he dials it barely above a three, but it's very, very moving because a lot of it is nonverbal. A lot of it is connoted through action. The most expression he gives is... It's, it's desperation. It's it like a, no- a nod and a point because we are privy... We are privy to uh, to Mad Max's sort of trauma, uh, trauma visions, his mm-hmm. fucking PTSD flashbacks in this movie, which... Are fucking terrifying with the speed ramping and the and the overlaying. Yeah. It's like real EC comics horror shit. Yeah, this is a miracle of a movie because the story itself is based. It's a chase film. The first thirty minutes of this movie are one chase sequence, and it doesn't let up. And this was my favorite part of seeing this in the theaters because I saw this in the theaters when it came out. So did I. After yeah. after that first. Chase sequence, which marks the one quarter point of the film. Like 60% of this movie is a chase scene, yes. but the first quarter is like 90% chase scene. And at the end of it, we cut to black. Everyone exhaled and started applauding. Wow. Because who the fuck does that? Who the fuck thinks to do that? Like, it's the point where. Uh, the war, bo- the war boys are like sicked onto uh, Charlize Theron to the point where they like uh, to the point where Max gets knocked out in like the in the like fucking dust devil tornado storm, whatever. Yes, that's like 20 minutes. It is the most intense 20 minutes of cinema I had seen up in that uh, that I had seen in a theater, probably. Which is also like, and- uh, like that's that storm by itself is like such a piece of world building that we never learn anything else about. It's like, okay, nope. I guess there's just giant thunder dust storms that roll across the land here. Yep. And they're also like, I remember seeing it in the theater and that being like generally like awe inspiring. It looks fucking giant. It reminds me of when I, um, I was driving actually from Wisconsin to Washington state and driving through Montana. There was one part where we were in the flat part of Montana. And as we were driving, I could see the storm. Like, I could see it out in front of me. We weren't there yet. It was sunny where I was, but I could physically see the storm, and it was a long enough, flat enough distance that it was just out there. It reminded me of that same thing, and it's uh, it's amazing. If, if I may be super indulgent and read the last paragraph of one of my favorite reviews I've ever written for Dim, Dim the House Lights. Yes. Uh, I Way back in the day, I wrote a, uh, wrote a review of Fury Road for Dim the House Lights, and uh, of course, gushing review. But uh, this is the last paragraph, and I think it gets to – it cuts to a lot of the reasons why I think this movie fucking owns. Much has already been said about the seamless mix of death-defying practical stunt work and CGI accents in the film, as well as the stunning impressionistic desert photography. But another standout here is the incredible production design. The Citadel is a supervillain's lair on crank, carved into a Namibian mountainside, encrusted with dirt, 
sweat, and motor oil. Skull-adorned Art Deco steering wheels are treated like holy icons. War boys are more or less blessed and sent into battle with a shot of silver spray paint to the gums. Cars are welded onto other cars to make Franken-tanks. A blind man plays a flame-throwing electric guitar plugged into a fully functional wall of amplifiers in tandem with a towering rig stacked several stories high with taiko drummers. A man, his eyes bandaged due to shrapnel getting lodged in them, double-wields AK-47s while proclaiming himself to be the scales of justice. This movie... This is a movie of fierce, hard-scrabble imagination and intense kineticism, a platonic blueprint for what big-budget action movies can be. Man, I'll have to, like, look at that writer's writing some more. That was really good. <laughs> this movie owns. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 incredible. Like, I, again, not a single thing I'd change. Every single part of it, like, I, for some reason, in my head, since, like, the six years since I've seen it last, because I saw it in theaters like you did, uh, I adored it in theaters. And then in the six years past, I was like, hmm, maybe that wasn't as good as I thought it was. Maybe like, it's like more of like a four star movie. And I was just like overhyping it because everyone else was, and you know, when you first see something, you might like think higher of it than when you actually have time to reflect on it. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. This is fucking perfect. This is amazing. This, this is like, what do you change? Like I have one quibble, one quibble, maybe cool it with the speed ramping a little bit not entirely okay. maybe just a little bit but that's clearly just an aesthetic preference yeah that's clearly the vision of the film and it works in the context of the film that's clearly just me being like if i would have been george miller this is the one thing i would have done different <laughs> if i would have been in the editing booth with margaret sixel who does a fantastic fucking job and fully deserved the oscar she won for this by the way yes um i that's something that i would have done a little different but that's such a minor quibble, I might as well not bring it up. I will also say, like, so my prediction is this, this might move forward. But pause that. I don't actually want to, like, get into that just yet because I want to say so, the last thing. It is so unfair to the great dictator because it's operating on such a smaller scale. Yes, that is true. Um, but I'll say, like, the other thing that I appreciated even more this time, I think, uh, especially, like, six further years in the future where things are worse than <laughs> they even were in... <laughs> In 2015, things were not going great, Derek. I don't know if you know this. In the world, things – it turns out even before Donald Trump, things were not going great in the world. Mm. Um, turns out these problems have sources, and these sources are like hundreds of years old at this point. And even the most – like the most direct sources are like at least from the 70s and 80s. But things are even worse now. But the <laughs> thing that like that like worked so well for me this time is that they're running to the green place. That's where they're trying to get to. And they find out – spoilers – it doesn't exist. Doesn't there, exist anymore, anyway. There is there is no more green place. There's no place you can run away to where you've done it. Where where you where, essentially there's no place where you can be separated from the world. The world's always coming towards you, and the world's like you can't go to the place the world hasn't ended. The world's always ending. It's ending all around us. We literally are in the middle of it ending. We're in the middle of it dying. So the only way we can go is back where we came from. And we have to stay here with it. We have to do something. We can't just like run, which is, I think even and, like, like I, you know, I'm an anarcho-communist, blah, 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 and all that shit. <laughs> um, but the problem I have with a lot of like other anarchists and anarcho-communists is that their goal seems to be to create a self-sustaining commune in which they can live by themselves and then they can not participate in the society that's killing the earth. Which is wonderful for them. <laughs> for everybody else, 
You can't that's, operate outside the world. Yes. That's the paradox. You have to be part of the world. You can't ever be away from it. And I think that's one of the most revolutionary things about this movie is that it says you can't go to the happy place. You have to make it. You have to force it The happy it to place be must be made. And it has to always be remade. There's no point where it's done. Constant revolution. It's, yeah. And like, chances are, like, the problem is not what you need isn't there. It's that it's being kept from you. Yes. Do not become addicted to water. <laughs> you will grow to resent its absence. <laughs> this Just, movie is so... Oh also, God. we haven't even talked about the fucking clockwork orange ass argo that this movie uses. <laughs> Watching this movie with subtitles, by the way, great benefit. Because I bumped this movie up from four and a half stars to the full five. And part of the reason is I got the full effect of the script and I could fucking hear what Tom Hardy was saying. And I got a lot more stuff that I didn't get while just being pummeled with the visuals in the movie theater. So, Great Dictator or Fury Road? Oh, God, what the fuck? This is not fair. <laughs> this is like, because Great Dictator is one of the greatest movies of the 20th century. <laughs> Belongs in, like, most pantheons, but is operating on such a more modest and, like, human scale than Fury Road, which is Spectacle City, which is just just an orgy of custom car production design fed through, like, the po- post-apocalyptic grinder. It's, it's like... That's what I need to get on. Post-apocalyptic <laughs> Lots of great title options for this episode. <laughs> Um, like, and they both end with like these sort of, these, these like sort of cautiously hopeful moments, cautiously hopeful in the face of like, sort of like oncoming overwhelming cruelty of cruelty. Um, I, uh, I know what I'm choosing. Do you want me to say that so you can consider more? I, cause I've, I feel like it's fucking Fury Road, but I feel like that's like, I'm kind of wowed by the visuals and it's recency bias. I do think like it's more of an achievement, but I don't know if it's a better movie. I think it might be Fury Road. Yeah, it's Fury Road. Okay. <laughs> like Good. like I, I, right. I here's here's what I'll say. Like I think the Great Dictator is incredible. I think it's, it's a, a wonderful movie. It's hilarious. It's like has so many like interesting things to say, like I already brought up. I think it was like very like insightful in what it's trying to say. It like Also for Fury Road, two hours. You don't need any more time. Two that is true hours and but i but and they're great packed tight <laughs> the great dictator is not the best Troy chapman movie uh, is it what is it Mar- is it modern times probably probably Mar- modern t- i mean modern times or city lights or or, or monsieur Verdoux. the dude has a lot of bangers he does so does george miller but george miller only has one movie on this list i think yeah Whereas I think we've already moved two different Chaplin movies ahead. There's a couple Chaplins that are in round two already. So yeah. if even if we're going by that, if we want to sort of metagame and like even up like sort of spread the wealth a little bit, um, yeah, Mad Max Fury Road. But like this is a terrible. This is at least a, a, a round of thirty-two matchup. This has okay. no business happening in the first round. <laughs> it might be a Sweet Sixteen matchup even. Oh well, I don't think I go that far, but. But it's unfortunate that it happens in round one, but someone's got to win and someone's got to lose. So we bid adieu to the GOAT, Charlie Chaplin, and the Great Dictator, and welcome the GOAT, George Miller, and Mad Max Fury Road <laughs> into round two, where he will face 
the bandit. <laughs> underdog of underdogs. Wow, I'm my heart already hurts thinking about that. Oh man, well luckily you don't have to think about it for probably another year or so. Because we've got a whole hell of a lot of bracket to get to before we get to round two. I shall preview the next two um the next two matchups that we have coming up. Uh on our next episode we will be looking at Some Like It Hot versus On the Waterfront. A little fifties on fifties action, I think. I think I got the years correct on that. And Forrest Gump versus Paris, Texas. And maybe we can finally get to the bottom of your fucking Tom Hanks thing. Oh, we, we definitely will. All right. Especially since, like, that is the platonic, like, ideal way to get to the, my forest. My, to my, talk, my to talk about thing. it. Fucking Forrest Gump. Fucking trash film. Spoilers, I everyone. Bet, I think fucking I Forrest it, Gump is a fucking trash film. I bet it's fine. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. You, you know how Robert Zemeckis hates black people? <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, for first he has... Um, Michael J. Fox invent rock and roll music. Right, of course, yes. And then Forrest Gump, oh, oh, fucking, we'll get there. There's, we'll get I think, there. I think we'll Forrest Gump is one of the most reprehensible movies of the 1990s. Like genuinely disgusting film with disgusting content, and it's all Tom <laughs> Hanks's fault for selling it to people and making people think that that it 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 is what save, poisoned boomers' minds. Save some for the episode. <laughs> That's a good hook, though. Uh, it'll get the people. It'll get. It'll get the people tuning in. So uh, you've got that to look forward to. Um, for now, uh, it is a plug time. Uh, so if oh god, we're we're getting up to two hours now. Um, if you like, any a lot of, of that this, was you looking for a book that I didn't even need the quote from, though. So I mean, that was a couple minutes at most. There's more audio of me laughing to myself while you took a piss than there is of me looking for that book in my book. And we'll make sure to append all of that to the end of the <laughs> Yes. We'll release it as a bonus feature. Just me <laughs> laughing for 90 seconds. Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, we at some point, we're going to need to do a bonus episode. We discussed this last ep where we Just... have more <laughs> pod. And also, like, I am now getting a backlog of things to read to you. And I feel like we're going to have to have like an episode that's just reading mail and me reading that stuff to you. Yeah. Well, we, we already issued the challenge. We need to get to, uh, what was it, 5,000 plays to get to, to, to do like a mailbag episode or something? I thought it was just we need to get more more like questions. Oh, uh, yeah, that too. I mean, listen, whatever. I mean, I don't even remember what our threshold was. But anyway, um, if you like any all of this bullshit. is ancest- ancestry test for dogs. That's all we're going to get to. Oh, my God. Okay. So, if you like any of this, for some reason, um, well, first of all, thank you for your patronage. Uh, second of all, you can get in touch with us at middlebrowmadness at gmail.com. That's our email address. Uh, send us questions and uh, assorted miscellanea you might uh, think is interesting to us. Um, <laughs> Der- Derek, hold on. Pause. 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 I just went on Twitter real quick while you're reading everything. I just need to read this. Hashtag cummies. People discuss oh, a no! cryptocurrency for no. adult creators, which has seen a price surge after a cryptic tweet by Elon Musk. Elon Musk tweeted about cummies, and now cryptocurrency is taken off. No! No! Why? Derek, you guys as good as mine. I refuse. No, this is this is the line. You save that for next time. We are at two hours. I I don't have anything else to say about cummies. Oh my god. If I had the power to strike one word from the universe... It would, it would be cummies. It would be cummies. I would shotgun cummies' mom in front of him. I fucking... 
No, hey. no word makes my skin crawl like that. Hey, oh god, I can't believe Mott say this. You know who's really good at <laughs> producing gummies? It. It's god moms. It. It's mommies. Uh, <laughs> oh, we got a lot of podcasts left, and then we have to endure a lot of this. So I better get used to it. If for some reason you like, if if, yes. if, you, if you like this podcast, if you like mommies, or if you like cummies, that's the three requirements oh. we got. Madness at gmail.com is our email address our all-purpose email address uh you can get on uh get Let's on not twitter again that much you can be restrained please don't send us any cummies or, i mean if you want to send us some mommies that's fine uh, so don't send us any cummies please use your better judgment dear listener um you can also uh get in touch with us on twitter we are at middlebrow pod on twitter uh, we are also on twitter individually at derek underscore g that's me and at space jam fan that is Isabel. Isabel, are you going to be seeing Space Jam 2 with LeBron James? Uh, at some point in the future. Okay. H- here's the problem. <laughs> is that I made Space Jam fan my username like six years ago. We are so close to the end. <laughs> Sorry, nine years ago. I mean, but and like, Space Jam's fine. I don't want to go by Space Jam fan anymore. But the problem is I have this backlog of episodes. So I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to like make the name different but immediately have another window up where i can register space jam fan as a twitter to automatically tell people to redirect to my new twitter name that's what's gonna have to have to happen and i'm too lazy to do that so until then i'm still space jam fan and i'm (laughs) and to be fair i'm also um morally against seeing space jam fan sorry space jam 2 until they restore peppy Le Pew being problematic or lola bunny being dummy thick yes that needs to happen. Why, why would you watch a Space Jam fan in which Lola Bunny is not, like, making you into a furry? That's the whole oh, point of the movie. Oh, Lord. I thought the, I, I, I thought the whole point of that movie was um, uh, crass commercialism for Warner Brothers properties and uh, uh, a, charm, a, a charm offensive by Michael Jordan, who's a complete asshole in real life. <laughs> I was like, yeah, hard to get a charm offensive from that man, but hey. Um... We are also on Letterboxd. <laughs> I'm yes. at Derek underscore G, and Isabel is also at Space Jam Fan. Uh, listen to uh, – we are on the uh, Noise Space Podcast Network. I can't believe they haven't kicked us the fuck off yet because we uh, update erratically and post bullshit, but whatever. Um, you can also listen to other shows on the network, uh, including For a Good Time, where uh, Isabel and uh, my friend and yours, Juan Barkeen, uh, talk about pornography, etc., um uh listen i know there's mail we have to read we'll get to it just kind of bear with us we're trying um in my head i wanted to make this a shorter episode since i'm like nope over at my partner's house and i wanted to like hang out with her more i apologize to everyone who had to listen to this two hours and to her but i can do that later this is probably gonna end up being like an hour 45 or something yes um but yeah this is we took it a lot, there's a lot of shit at the beginning about bullshit that was in movies. <laughs> More neutral. Hey, but that, that's okay. People love not that Not all bullshit. <laughs> no, the IDF cat girl was not bullshit. It's very real and very true. I was thinking more the struggle of the Palestinian people, Derek. But hey, sure. That too. That's very, that's very true. I mean, that's also very true. <laughs> Don't try to make me look like a fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm here doing Derek bit, doesn't okay? care about apartheid, huh? I see how it oh, is. Oh, my lord. I'm going to I'm going to end this show before I get cancelled. So I will invite you to say your name and sign off. I've been Isabel Arf. And I've been Derek Gade. Have movies, be jolly. 
have movies. Be jolly. Good night. Good night. Oof. <laughs>